Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Palm Sunday. So glad you're all here today. And we're going to kind of start in a little bit different way, take in God's Word in a little bit different way. We're going to do a congregational reading, do this all together. So let's, in the honor of the Lord's Word, let's stand up and uh, we're going to read the... the the, uh, the passage on the Lord's Supper. So, and I think about the third or fourth line, we'll all be about the same speed, okay? So let's get started up here. This is from Luke 22. It says, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they'd eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Well, thank you for helping me with that. You can sit down. As you know now, we're in our third week of a short series on ordinances, sacraments. They're symbols of our faith. And of course, in our tradition, uh, that is the Lord's Supper and that is baptism. Now, we started kind of working our way through this. We've, we've kind of led a, a definition by a guy named Augustine, a fifth century theologian, kind of guide our way through this. And he defined, he described these things as an outward and visible sign of an inner and spiritual reality, an outward sign that that syncs up with, that is connected to what is supposed to already be there, an inner reality. And, And we've let this inner reality kind of become big as we've understood these things because we saw Jesus warn us in Mark 7 about partaking in these outward signs When there's not an inner reality, why would Jesus warn us of that? Because it's our nature to to go through some outward thing and, and think that that covers us, that we're okay, that we're good to go, when the inner reality is not there. Jesus said it makes us hypocrites and we deceive ourselves that we're okay. So we've really looked at, tried to understand what this inner reality is that's supposed to be in place when we're baptized and today when we come to the Lord's table. We saw also that we rally to these things. Just like an American flag is a, is a sign to Americans. It's something we rally to because it represents what we believe in. Well, likewise, these signs rally us. Last week we saw when just one person is baptized, it should lead hundreds of us rallying to the idea, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. We our followers of Christ. We might have all ended up in those waters at different ages, different times, different reasons, but we're all unified and that is the exact spot that every single one of us began to follow Christ. We're unified in that. We rally to that. And today we come to look at the Lord's table. Now, this is a a, a subject that I've come to realize I don't give a lot of attention to when it really needs a lot of attention or deserves a lot of attention. Now, I don't do that on purpose. What, what happens is kind of practical. A lot of the times when I'm speaking about the Lord's Supper, it's because we're taking 
the Lord's Supper. And so it kind of cuts my message in half, but there really is a lot we could look at here. Uh, now, there's a real simplicity to the Lord's table. I mean, we know as we come to this moment, the, the bread is a symbol of the broken body of Jesus, the cup, the fruit of the vine, the wine, the juice. It is a symbol of the blood of Jesus. And as we remember these two things, it reminds us of what Jesus did for us on the cross and that through that we can be forgiven. It's a time we should confess sins. It's a time that should renew and, and kind of motivate our commitment to follow him. And that's about it. I mean, there's a real simplicity to that. And yet, do you realize that what I just said, that a really big, significant portion of the Christian faith would not agree with that? For example, the, the Catholic faith, and they're, they're, they're not the only ones, but that would be representative of one big group that would disagree with something I just said. Because, see, I said the bread and, and the cup is a symbol. Well, they don't believe it's a symbol. They believe that somewhere between the preparing it and getting it right here to the time it lands in your hands, a miracle happens. And that it's not a symbol of the body and blood. It is. It actually becomes the body of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. So gosh, we could take a Sunday a, a, a message and just look at what the different traditions teach, why they teach that, why we hold to what we hold about the, the Lord's Supper. We could take a Sunday and, and look at the Passover. We have done that, not on a Sunday, but we've looked at the, we, we've actually celebrated the Passover. Now, as believers, we don't celebrate the Passover. We're not called to do that in the New Testament. But that is what Jesus and the disciples were doing that night, right? They were celebrating the Passover and, and as we take a cup and as we take this bread, that is in a series of things that have been going on in the Passover that night. And in the Passover, everything on the table is symbolic. So obviously to understand where the Lord's Supper fits in the midst of that would be just very enriching, enlightening to, to what happens in the, in the Lord's table. Of course, we could take a, a, a message and just look at the different texts in the Gospels and what they communicate about that night. What does the, the body and the blood mean? Jesus tells us to remember. What is it we're remembering? What we just read, did you hear twice Jesus saying something about, I'm not going to do this again till it comes in fulfillment of the kingdom? You know, why are we doing something he's not doing? What's that about? We, we could look at 1 Corinthians 11, a commentary on the Lord's Supper, an explanation of it, and one in which there's a lot of directives giving, some real instruction on how you and I approach this table. And what you'll find in 1 Corinthians 11, what you'll find with what Paul's doing there, is he's driving you and me back to the inner reality. He's making sure, listen, don't come to this table not having synced up what's real inside you with what's represented at this table. He actually says that's dangerous. This is a dangerous place to be if you don't understand how the inner reality is connecting to the outward symbol. So you see, there's really, there's a lot that we could look at there. You know, what we need to do is we need to take maybe like two or three weeks and just look at the ordinances and the Oh, wait a minute, that is what we're doing, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, so kind of a swing and a miss on my part, you know, but that kind of gives me something to think about in the future. Maybe we have some Sundays where we look at the Lord's Supper without actually taking it. We'll take it at the end, though. How's that sound? But, but today, we are going to get to the Lord's table here in just a moment. But I do want to look at one issue, one symbol that is represented there, and that's the cup. That's the blood. Have you ever stopped and realized, and, and I'm going to say maybe not, Because for a lot of us, not all of us, but for a lot of us, we've kind of grown up with this since we were kids, and so we get kind of conditioned to it. But have you ever noticed we really have a very bloody religion? I mean, there's just a lot of blood in what we do. We open up the Old Testament, and boy, you're not very long into it before Jesus is giving, or God's giving directives on the animal sacrifices. And folks, those pages in Leviticus are going to result in millions upon millions upon millions. Okay, you can, it's, it's not enough to say a lot of animals. It is millions of animals that are sacrificed. And, and most of that happens at one altar. Can you imagine? I'm going to say, no, you can't. I don't think we can at all imagine what that altar looked like and the, the gallons of blood that daily all day long just poured off of that altar. And then, of course, in the New Testament, you open up. There we are in Matthew chapter 1. Well, you don't have to turn many pages before, boom, we're at the cross, which puts any horror film to shame. Folks, the cross is a place of tremendous violence. It is a place where there is an incredible amount of blood. We read our Bible verse after verse. is about blood. We come to church in our worship and we... We have songs where we sing about blood. Folks, that's kind of weird. I mean, again, if you're not conditioned to that, you you have an absolutely clean slate about what the scriptures say, who Jesus is, the cross. You come into a building and they're singing about blood. You're looking for an exit. These people are weird. You know? And, And then to wrap it all up, we have now an ordinance, a sacrament. You remember how we described a sacrament? It's a, a holy moment. Now we hopefully have a lot of holy moments in the church. There's a lot of very special things going on. But a sacrament, this is a, a sacred, not like everything else that goes on in the church. This kind of rises up. It's unique. It's different. It's special. And what's it all about? Blood. I mean, it just never stops. It is always about blood. Why is that? Well, folks, there's actually a very, I use the word simple because it's just very direct, very clear. Here's the reason why blood is so important. And it is found in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, maybe one of the most important verses in the Bible, certainly one of the most important verses in the Old Testament, and probably one of the most important verses that you don't really know, (laughs) that you don't ever really, had never maybe really grasped because we don't. We don't spend a lot of time traveling in Leviticus, do we? Shame on us. Look at what this verse says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And then a sister passage in the New Testament. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, Hebrews 9 mentions the word forgiveness. It mentions the word sins. You don't see either of those words in Leviticus. The word you see is atonement. 
Now, atonement is there's a problem that needs to be fixed. What is the problem? It's sin. How's it fixed? Forgiveness. So see, both verses are talking about the same thing. And so there's this problem between me and God. It's my sin. It's totally my problem. There's nowhere that God has been negligent. There's nothing he has failed at. This is a wrong about me. And God says, hey, we need to, we need to be at one again. We, we need to get this fixed. And he gives us blood to do that. So now we ask the question, why, Lord? Why, why do you use, why do you give blood? Why did you set up a system where blood would take care of that? And folks, there's kind of a simple answer here. What's more valuable? What, what is more valuable on this planet than life? And blood is life. Whether it's animal blood, whether it's, it's human blood, blood is life. This is the most valuable thing we have on this planet to deal with this issue. The idea being here that as you and I walk through a week, a month, or whatever amount of time, and we're dealing with the sins in our life, and then we see what it takes to get right with God, when we see this blood, the idea is we see the, the cost. You see, folks, we value our sin. That's why we sin, right? We value it. I value what it accomplishes for me. I value the way it makes me feel. I value what it helps me to get. And so I value my sin until I come to the altar and I see all this blood. And what, what should happen is I go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What I'm getting out of this, what I'm the it doesn't add up. Sin's too costly. This, this isn't right. This isn't okay. And, and the cost of that sin should lead us away from the sin. It's a kind of a simple thought that, would you believe, we just don't get? I mean, folks, we have, we have filled an ocean with all the blood that has been shed, including the blood of the very Son of God. And we continue. After seeing all that blood, we continue to minimize our sin. You say, I don't minimize my sin every day. <laughs> every single day. Just think of the thoughts that are just constantly flowing through your mind. Well, I don't know if God really means that for today. Well, I mean, you know, that's, that's not, that wasn't really my fault. That was, that was their fault. Well, they don't know what I've been through. Well, you know, I, I, you know God maybe is doing things different. How big a deal can it be? It's not hurting anybody. See, all these statements, we go through our mind to tell ourselves why our sin is okay. You know what we're doing? We're discounting. We're, we're discounting. We're making it of no account. And then we come to this table, and what does Jesus say? Remember. Remember what? Remember the blood. Remember the cost. You know all that work you did this week to tell yourself that your sin was of no account? We come to the table, and Jesus said, yes, it was. Yes, your sin was of tremendous account. It cost my life. It's your sin that crushed my body. It's your sin that led to my, my blood being spilled. Quit minimizing the value of your sin. It killed me. Because it is ultimately Jesus that pays the price. It's not the blood of animals. It started off that way. But you know, I, I like it. I liken that that using the blood of animals to kind of an interest-only payment. Have you ever had one of those with the bank? Don't raise your hand. You shouldn't get that loan. That's a that's a bad deal for you in the long run. 
You see what an interest only payment is. See, I've got a debt with the bank. Things are not okay between me and them. I've got a lot of their money, but they set up a system that says, okay, listen, if this is what you do, we'll be okay with each other. And in some situations, they'll set up an interest only payment. You don't have to actually pay it back right now. Just make the interest payments. And we do that. That's like the animal's blood. It's an interest payment. But the problem, the principle, the debt's not being touched, is it? So when all those animals are being killed, it's not changing the fact that I'm a sinner. It's not really changing the problem. There was a system created where, okay, this will keep things okay between me and God for the moment, but it's not dealing with the problem. I mean, folks, ultimately, isn't it my blood? Isn't it my blood that needs to be spilled for my sin? But there lies the problem. If, if I pay for my sin, I can't recover from that. I, I can't recover from my blood being spilled. You know, we've talked a good bit this year about being born again. In our sins, spiritually, we are dead. And if we physically die while we're spiritually dead, our spiritual death becomes permanent. Now, we are permanently separated from God. So see, I can't die for my sin. I can't pour out blood for my sin or else it becomes permanent. But praise God, my impossible problem collided with his incredible unfailing love. What kind of body could be crushed but recover? What kind of blood could be spilled but be restored to life? What kind of blood could do more than just cover? but actually make us holy. Listen to this. I'm reading out of Hebrews chapter 10. Listen as closely as you can. It says in verse 4, For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why Christ, when he came into the world, said, and he's saying this to the Father. You're, you're hearing, you're, you're getting insight into a conversation between God the Son and God the Father. And that is why Christ, when he came into the world, said, You did not want animal sacrifices and grain offerings, but you have given me a body so that I may obey you. The Father gave the Son a body to be crushed and his blood to be spilled. No, you were not pleased with animals burned on the altar or with other offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, just as it is written about me in the Scriptures. And then the writer of Hebrews repeats what Jesus said. Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or grain offerings or animals burned on the altar or offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he added, Jesus added, look, I've come to do your will. Now the, now the writer says, now this is what this is all about. Jesus cancels the first covenant. He cancels the first way of dealing with sin. He cancels the first economy that God put in place to establish the second way, the permanent way, the eternal way that God is going to deal with our sin. Verse 10, and what God wants is for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Folks, do you realize in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, when God put in place a system whereby blood would be required to deal with sin, He put in place a system that would ultimately cost His own blood. 
For what kind of body and blood is eternal enough and powerful enough to make an eternal difference in our lives, to make us holy, to resurrect us from the dead? Only the blood of God. And you and I, we rally to that blood. Do you realize how different that makes us to the rest of the world? Not because blood's creepy. We rally to the blood. The rest of the world rallies to themselves. Whether they're religious or they're irreligious, they rally to their effort, to their ability and their knowledge. What are religions? Religious say, hey, this is who we think God is. This is what we think his problem is. And here's what you need to do to fix it. And every religion tells their people, you need, you know, here's what you need to do, here's what you need. And you and I hope we do enough. We, we hope we're good enough to deal with this problem between us and God. We're trusting in ourselves to, make, to clean up this mess. The irreligious, what are they trusting in? They're trusting that they're smart enough. Even though I don't possess all the knowledge in the universe, I believe I have enough knowledge to say there's no God and I don't have to give an account to anybody. I answer to myself. I trust in myself. So the religious, the irreligious, all of them, they're trusting in themselves. We do not trust in ourselves. We rally to, we trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, we come in here today and you know what? We've lived since last Sunday we were in here. We've, we've lived and you know what? We've probably sinned. And some of those sins would be similar. Some of those sins would be the same. But there's also some things that would maybe make us very different. Some very different sins. Some very different things that, that have given us unclean hands. That have made us unworthy before God. Things that have made us very unlike God. But all together, united. Here's how we're one. We believe in. We trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. What a bond we have. What a bond we have. It started in the waters of baptism. We all got there different ways, but we all began following Christ exactly the same way. What a bond we have in the Lord's table. We've got different sins, but we are all one in that we humbly are dependent upon the same blood, the same Savior to rescue us from our sin, to rescue us and give us clean hands and a pure heart. We depend upon the body and blood of Jesus Christ to give us life and life eternal. And that faith makes us a family as we come to this table. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? In just a moment, there's going to be our our, our praise team up here and they're going to be singing. But I, I hope even while they're singing, you'll remain with your head bowed and your eyes closed and that you'll use this time to confess sin. And you know, if you're like me, you say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry I acted that way. I'm sorry I said that. Lord, I know you've wanted me to do this and I haven't done it. I, 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 sometimes, Lord, I just won't do it. And we'll confess these specific things. But a part of what we need to confess right now is that in those moments, we did not value God. We did not value His Son We did not value the blood that was spilled. There was those moments that we sinned where we said, I value my sin. I value what I think more than God and more than what Jesus has done for me. I don't know about y'all, but that is just a horrible, grievous way to think about myself. 
to acknowledge, to recognize that I have valued my sin more than the blood of Christ. But folks, God did not bring you and me here today. He did not bring us to this day table to beat us up. His son's already been beat up for us. He did not bring us here to overwhelm us with guilt, but to show us the power of his love, his blood, and his forgiveness to deal with that guilt. It's only when I rightly acknowledge the wrong that resides in me and how I live that wrong out that I can fully appreciate, fully value the blood of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, would you guide us in this moment what we need to confess? Would you guide us to realizing that in those sins we confess, we valued you less? I thank you so much, God, for the promise that whatever we confess, you are righteous and you are just to forgive because the blood paid for it.